Oh. Uh, there are certain tools that we all uh, use in life or things we use to create, hopefully, our, make our lives better. Uh, and then when they're used correctly, great things happen. When they're misused, uh, then you can have a, a, another effect that would not be as good. Uh, that's why, for instance, you know, when it comes to medication, there's usually a warning label there. Although I got to say, I, I was a little surprised that they've made a change. Uh, but years ago, NyQuil uh, had a warning label that said, warning, taking this medication may cause you to become drowsy. Now, I'm like, that's why you take NyQuil, right? But then later on it says, when taking this medication, do not operate heavy machinery. And I'm thinking, okay, so uh, like I'm going to take a little NyQuil, put on my pajamas, and go drive a bulldozer. I mean, it just doesn't seem like uh, something you'd want to do, you know. Uh, uh, years ago, a, a guy did this. He had a toothache, and he was in construction. And so rather than going to a dentist, he asked his friend to use a jackhammer to knock the tooth out. That really happened. Broke almost every, uh, uh, broke his jaw, knocked out an incredible number of teeth because a jackhammer is not made to take out teeth, right? Or, this really did happen, a woman decided to cut her son's hair using a lawnmower. Now, I don't know about you, but I think a lawnmower is great for cutting grass, but it's not like, hey, bud, you want to buzz? Come here. You know, I, she really did that. And, and when the right thing is used in the right way, it has a great effect and when the right, wrong, right thing is used in the wrong way, of course, it can be a bad effect. Now, God has some tools that he wants to use in our life. And that's what we're going to look at here. Uh, what we're talking about, if you haven't been with us, is that Paul has written a follow-up letter to the Corinthian church that we call 2 Corinthians. The first letter was very, very stern. And he's addressed problems that he needed to see fixed. But now what's happened is he's been wondering, how do you feel about me? How did you feel about what I said? And we're about to more than ever get a personal glimpse into what Paul went through until he got news. But, but here's his point. Once he found out, okay, things are okay between us, he said, I want to remind you of this kind of life that we get to live. I want to share my heart with you. I want to talk about the, the transformational power of what it means to, to con to literally interact with Jesus in an intimate way and have his grace poured into our life. And that's what we've been looking at, this true, authentic life, a life that's meant to be lived even when it's not easy. Now, that's what Paul's about to dig into here. Now, we're in a section, are you ready for this, where if God is going to have you be who he wants you to be, he has two tools in particular that are going to be looking at right now that create transformation in our life. And the first tool we're going to look at is community. You ready for what the second one is? It's sorrow. God uses sorrow. But, but the first one's community. And look what he says when he starts talking here in chapter uh, 7, verse 2. It says, make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. We took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. Now, now, don't miss this next line. I am overflowing with joy in all our affliction. Paul says, you know what? I, I got to tell you something. I am in an intensely painful place in my life right now. I am hurting in ways that you can't imagine. I have never had so much stress and pressure upon me. 
But I want to tell you something. In the midst of the affliction I'm experiencing, I have overflowing joy. Now, how does he get that? How do you have overflowing joy in the midst of affliction? And by the way, this is where the real authentic Christian life shines out in the most amazing way. Remember in the first week we said an authentic Christian has at least two attributes, and actually there's five, but two of them that just shine out of us, they flow out of us. One is an unquenchable optimism, not just when things are going good, but even in the tough times. And the other one is unvarying success. And Paul says, you know what, I've got an, un, uh, an overflowing joy, and my life isn't easy. Overflowing joy, and my life right now is painful, but how does he get it? How does God instill this and do this in a time like this? Notice verse five, for even... When we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. By the way, the word conflict there is a Greek word that means to be so pressured you can't move. To be so hemmed in you can't seem. Have you ever been so, had problems fall on you in such a way and you go, I don't know what to do. That's what that word means. I kind of, I saw a video of a Japanese subway where they just shove everybody in and you stand like this. And that's what Paul's saying. I am so crowded. I am so uh, conflicted. I am so pushed in. And it's all from the outside and I don't know what to do. And then the word fears within. That's a very interesting Greek word. It's a Greek word that literally means to fight, to combat, to wrestle, to churn, to stab at. And, and he says, In, outside of me, I'm under such stress, I can't stand it. But you ready for this? He goes, inside of me, I'm so filled with fear, I'm fighting a battle constantly. I, I, I don't know if you haven't, I'm going to guess we've all had those times where you were laying in bed at night and you're worried about something. Uh, maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational, maybe it's professional. And you're laying there and you're, you're just churning with worry. And, and I've done this. I say, Lord, you know what? Okay, I don't want to fight the, God, I want to give this to you. I can't do anything about it right now. Lord, I'm just going to trust you with it. And I pray the prayer and I lay back down and I start rehearsing in my mind what's going on again. Do you ever do that? You find yourself, no matter what you lay there, go, okay, don't think about it. And then you think about it more. Don't think about it. And it comes back more. And it churns inside you. Paul said that's what he was doing. He says, man, I'm so pressed, and I lay there, and I can't get it off my mind. And he says, I just don't know how to handle this sometimes. And he he says, yet, in the midst of that, I've got this overflowing joy. Now, we're about to get to the tool that he uses to get it. Verse 6, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which he had comforted or which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Now, do you see what God, it says God comforts the depressed, and we're gonna get to more of that in a minute, but notice what he says here. He says, how does he do it? He does it by using people. This whole idea of a fellowship, a relationship, a Christian friendship, or, or marriage, or, or, or partnership that God creates in our life with another believer The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And and Paul says, you know how God did this to me? I thought I was almost ready to fall apart. And then God brought a man into my life that brought amazing comfort to me. And then even more, he brought a message that you love me. See, remember, Paul had written this horrible letter. uh, And actually, not horrible, but you're going to see why I use that word in a minute. This very tense, powerful, uh, you know, stabbing type letter. And after he sent it, he was probably going, oh no, what did I do? You ever do that? You ever write an email, hit send, they go nuts. I should have hit delete. 
And then you're wondering what the person's going to do. Have you ever had that happen? Uh, and Paul did that. He, he sent the letter. And, and he's going to say later on, he goes, you know, I don't regret sending it. Although in the beginning, I did regret it. And, and Paul had sent this letter and he just thought, oh, they're mad at me. They're upset at me. I ha-, and, and the word came, no, they, Paul, they love you. And he said, you know what? That just lifted me in this moment. That helped me in this moment. That transformed this moment. Now, here's what you've got to grab hold of. The authentic Christian life is meant to be lived in community. It's meant to be lived relationally with other people. And and whenever we don't do that, we're exiting God's will and God's ways. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, He who separates himself seeks his own desire, and he quarrels against all sound wisdom. The New King James Version says he rages against the wisest things of God. He who isolates himself, he who separates himself, he who decides, you know what, I really don't need to be with other people, sharing life with them, interacting with them. God says that's the most foolish thing you could do. Dr. Timothy Johnson, who's uh, the, the head of the medical division for ABC News and one of the most revered doctors in all the United States, is a very strong born-again Christian, and he wrote a really good book called Finding God and the Questions. And Dr. Johnson said this, he said, He goes, I am convinced that all spiritual journeys have to be traveled in community. I'm convinced that all spiritual journeys have to be traveled in community. I I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, he said he knows it because the Bible teaches it. He knows it because he's found in his life that he could not successfully grow in Christ, grow in his maturity, grow in his relationship with God, grow in his effectiveness in living unless he had done it in a community aspect. And by the way, that's what the scriptures call for over and over again. Now, you probably already know this, but in Genesis, it it begins by saying God created this and it was good. God created that and it was good. And and you know what? Before sin, before the fall, before in that moment happened where man uh, allowed evil to really take hold of the world, Prior to that, when Adam had a perfect relationship with God, God looked down and said, it is not good. What was it that was not good? That man would be alone. Now, I want to tell you something. Man, I, I, our hope, our desire is to help you grow in your connection with God in, in, in amazing ways. But I want to promise you this. If you had the perfect relationship with God, that's not enough. And that's a God-designed thing. God has on purpose made us so that even if you had the most amazing relationship with him you could, you still need people. He has made us so that we're meant to share life together. We're meant to pour in together. We're meant to do that together. And notice that Paul's begging them to have this kind of a lifestyle. It says up here in um, verse, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 7, verse 2, make room for us in your hearts. And he says, I want you to do that. Please do that. Make room for us in your hearts. And, and I want to tell you that, that at times for some of you, and, and, and I mean this with every bit of love I can, we're, I feel like sometimes we're begging you, get into community. Get into relationships. Get to where you're sharing with other people. Make room for other people in your heart and life. And I know every now and then I'll bump into someone and say, well, I don't know if I really need that. And then you already know my answer. You know what my answer is to that is? Maybe someone else needs you. Maybe someone, and, and, and you know, we were made to live this way, and that's why we have uh, community groups here, and that's why we have settings we want to get you to start knowing each other and loving each other. We have said before, we want this to be a church where we all in agreement have a passionate commitment to Christ, to the cause, and to community. And then we're passionate about that, and we desire it, and we're desperate for it. And so Paul says over and over again, we need this together. 
Look back at chapter 7, verse 4. It says, Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am overflowing with joy in all affliction. For when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. But God, who comforts the oppressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. You see how this comfort came? It came in relationship. And it says, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal, so that I rejoiced even more. I rejoiced even more. And see, that's why we want to see this happen. We want to be a place where we continually are doing everything we can to get people in relational settings where we talk to each other and share with each other and pour into each other's lives. Now, now we have good, good community groups right now. Our goal is to have great ones going. Uh, But you ready for this? One of the ways we want to enhance community is a change we're going to make for a significant period of time on Sunday night starting in September, actually on September 14th. On September 14th, we're going to take Sunday night and we're going to do it very differently. We're going to have men's fraternity and women's sorority. Uh, that means that the men, we're going to meet in here together, and, and the women are going to meet in the plaques, and, and we're going to do a, a, a study. I cannot tell you how incredible these studies are going to be. And uh, Catherine has just been pouring tons of time into it and praying over it. And I want to assure every woman here, it's going to be an amazing time of allowing yourself to look at who you are and to, to understand the kind of woman that God wants you to be and to help you have victory over things that are holding you back. Some that might be a little thing, some that could be some major things, some from the past, some from lies you've been buying into. But the bottom line is we're going to do that together. And then, guys, we're going to be in here together, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a man of God. Uh, You know, society over and over is pushing men not to be men. Passivity reigns amongst men in our society, and that's the last thing that God wants us to be. And we're going to take a look at, at some things maybe in our past that could stop us from grabbing hold of that. But all of the things we're looking at, both for the men and women, we're taking the truth of Scripture, and we're interjecting it in in ways that cause us to be more effective than ever. And, and I can't wait for all of the men for us to get in here and, and to start talking about what it means to be godly men and to really do that. But let me tell you what's going to happen on that night. There's going to be some worship, although it'll be a little bit shorter. Then there's going to be the teaching time. And then we'll give an invitation, which we always do in both settings. And then we're going to ask you to get communion and sit with two, three, or four, or actually three or four other people that you'll do this with weekly And you'll share communion and then you'll discuss what God has been saying to you in the message and in your life. Now, I know there's some guys here going, I don't want to do that. That's the last thing I want to do. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Be a man. I really am. You know, step out of your comfort zone. You know, just do it because you should. And we need to do that. And I do have to make this quick kind of caveat statement. I have actually, and I'm not meaning to be demeaning at all, but I feel like I just need to say it. Uh, I had a couple women say to me, I don't know if I want to go to church and not sit with my husband. And my response is, do you want your husband to be a man of God? I mean, that's what this is about. This is about the men, all of us coming together and saying, let's do it God's way and let's be the men we're supposed to be. And my dream is 500, maybe 1,000 men gathering here. Do you know what would happen if 1,000 men bought into being the men of God we're supposed to be? It would rock this area. And, And here's the point. We're going to do it. We're going to do it in teaching, but we're going to do it with community. 
And I really believe some of the most amazing friendships ever are going to be born in these two buildings, both here and in the women's. And, and you're going to start sharing life. And I've watched God guide these things. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that as we really do that. Plus, we have lots of other ways the community is going to be born out of here. But our great desire is that we jump into that and do that. You see, one of the things the church should be is amazingly relational. Amazingly relational. And God wants us to understand that, that that is best used by God when we hit those kind of difficult times, when it's not easy to do. Uh, and so we want to share relational things with you. By the way, I've got another thing just to tell you. Um, I've been asked by a few people, so I started a blog, and it's on our website. And we determined that the blog's to be mainly relational, talking about relationships and stuff. And so... If you haven't read this week's, I want to encourage you to because I, I, I talk about Tony Wood. <laughs> yeah, you just got to read it. And uh, I, I think it's good. But I'm exposing Tony's relational ability to you. Um, but, but we want to do these relational things. Why? Well, look what it says here when it talks about how God works in verse 6. The God who comforts the depressed. Now, I, I don't know if you haven't caught it. Paul was depressed. And, and you know what? There's some of you right now in a room this size, you're struggling, you're fighting some depression. Maybe a minor amount, it may be a major amount. And we sometimes act like, that. What, what kind of a Christian are you if you're depressed? Well, guess what? Let me tell you, you're a Christian just like Paul. And you're a Christian just like Elijah. Elijah got really depressed. We need to understand, life can be tough. We can get wounded. It, it, it isn't easy. We're not always up here, and there are times we get hit in a way that just knocks the air out of us, and when that happens, let me tell you the words we're not going to say to you. You ready? We're not going to use these words. We're not going to say, just get over it, because if you could get over it, you would, and I know better than that. I know it's not that easy. You know, it's not like anybody goes, hey, I've got, you know, this week on Wednesday, I'd like to get depressed, right? No, nobody wants this. Paul didn't want it. Elijah didn't want it. It happens. And the reality is, you know what God does in that moment? And did you catch what it says? God comforts you. God doesn't step back and go, what's wrong with you? God rushes in and God sends people in and he wants to pour comfort into your life. And there's two, two things that help. I'm not gonna say it's this magic cure, but two of the tools that God helps us is prayer and, and people. And, and we've got to make sure we don't run from prayer and we don't run from people and that we allow God to work in our life because that's what God wants to do. And by the way, uh, uh, Elijah, uh, uh, he got depressed after the greatest victory he had ever had in his life. And I think that's kind of interesting how I've watched that happen in people. We have these amazing moments, amazing victories, and we step back and boom, we just let down. Elijah had stood against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He had taken on these radical men who were cutting themselves and threatening to kill him. And there's hundreds of them. And Elijah stands there as a man and faces them down. And he calls upon God. And God sends the fire of heaven. And everybody turns and says, wow. And Elijah's in a moment like this. Now, don't miss it. He's faced down hundreds of maniac-type men and doesn't flinch. And then someone walks up and says, but Elijah, Jezebel wants to kill you. Now, did you catch it? He'll take on hundreds of men, but one woman, he gets so afraid he runs, which shows us the power of women. And here's what's wild. He runs away, and he gets so depressed, he says, God, would you just kill me? God, I don't want to live. I don't want to go on one more day. Have you ever felt like that? First Kings 19 is where this is at. I encourage you to read it later. Now, what does God do? God takes Elijah, and first thing he does is have him sleep. 
He wants him to get the right amount of rest, not too much, but he gives him sleep. Then he has him eat, and he wants him to fuel his body correctly with quality food. And then he has him sleep again and has him eat some more. And and once he's nourished and once he's rested, now God's ready to deal with him. And God takes him and he commissions him again. He says, Elijah, there's a great calling in our life. There's great things for you to do. Don't wallow in this moment. Don't let it overwhelm you. I want you now that you've rested and now that you've eaten correctly, I want you now to get out there and understand there's great things for you to do. And then God reminds him, you're not alone in this. Now, this is a key. Notice this. God says, there are 7,000 others who are in this with you. And I want you to join with them. And then God does something else. He sends into the life of Elijah, Elisha, to be a friend, to be a, a partner, to be someone to share this experience with. Now, if you haven't caught it, the design of God is that you and I would, would handle our bodies correctly. Uh, the design of God is that we would understand we all have a calling. We have a reason to live and we grab hold of it. The design of God is that you would do this in community with others and that you would also do it in very close relational fellowship type ways. Jesus wanted his 12. We need people around us that we would pour and share life with. And so God's great desire is that we would do it. And I want to encourage you more than ever to do it. And that's God's thing. The authentic Christian life is one that has a high value on community where we come together. And by the way, over this next couple years, unless the Lord comes back, we're gonna really do a lot to create community around here. So this is a place where we know and love each other. The next thing that God does is he uses sorrow. Uh, Look what it says starting in verse eight of 2 Corinthians 7. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Did you see that? Well, there was a time I sent it and I went, oh no, but I don't really regret it, he says. Why? For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a little while. I now rejoice that you were made sorrowful. Or, so I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, we're, we're a little time constrained right now, but I want to make sure and say some things before we stop today. So, and I think they're vitally important. The first thing is notice that he says the sorrow caused transformation in your life. Uh, in the book, Hind's Feet on High Places, it's a classic. And I, I, if you've never read it, I want to encourage you to read Hind's Feet on High Places. But the story is of a young girl who's called Much Afraid. And, and she is just uh, so pressured by all, uh, literally a depressing environment she lives in that she feels like she can't move, she can't walk, she can't accomplish anything. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus offers her an opportunity to be transformed, to not be much afraid anymore. And she agrees. And Jesus said, well, it's going to be a difficult journey, but I'm not going to have you travel alone. I want you to travel with two friends. And she is so excited that she doesn't have to go alone until she finds out who her two friends are. Her friends are sorrow and suffering. And she's like, I don't want to go with them. And the Lord says, you can't be changed without that. You can't have that transformation take place. You can't become who I want you to be without sorrow and suffering in your life. Uh, You know, there's a myth out there that says, well, when someone comes a Christian, then everything's wonderful. Your contact falls out, it magically reappears. You drive into the mall, you get the front part. No, that doesn't happen, does it? You know what? God didn't say, I want to give you a life without sorrow. 
He says, really, sorrow is a transforming thing in your life, and suffering can be too. And there's a point where she's so afraid she doesn't know what to do, so suffering grabs her, and she gets this pain, and she gets through it. God wants you and I to know that, that he uses that in their life. That's why in James chapter 1, James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider it a joy that God would love you and work with you this way. But this sorrow he's talking about is a sorrow that leads to repentance. And this is where it becomes very vital. The word repentance is very misunderstood. Uh, very often we think that repentance is sorrow. Repentance and sorrow are two different things. Uh, uh, there was a period of time where I was dealing with a very intense situation and we were having to uh, confront a particular individual and because of the way it was going, it seemed to have to get a little more intense than we wanted it to, but he was forcing our hand on it. And I'll never forget the moment when someone looked at me and said, why are you doing this? He repented. And my answer was, when did he repent? They said, well, didn't you see how sad he was? Well, no, being sad isn't repenting. Being sorrow isn't repenting. Repentance, the word repent means to literally turn around and do the right thing. The literal meaning of the word is a change of mind and a change of action. And that's why John the Baptist, when people were coming to be baptized, he said, what are you doing? And he even says, you brood of vipers, don't come into this water unless you're going to bear the fruit of repentance. In the case I'm talking about, this person, if he really repented, then he would have gone to the people that he had had this problem with and asked for their forgiveness. And until he went and did that, we couldn't see any true repentance in his life. And you know, people get sad and sorrowful about a lot of things. You know, the number one reason we're sorry is we got caught. That's not repentance. We might be sorry we have the consequence. That's not repentance. But that sorrow can cause you to say, you know what? I want to change. I want to be different. And Paul says godly sorrow leads to repentance. It causes us to go. But this becomes incredibly important that we need to know something here in verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance, and this is a key, without regret. Without regret. Now, this is one of the most important things that we can understand about the authentic Christian life versus the facade or the fake. It, it, God doesn't want you to walk around filled with regret. By the way, sorrow is to be a temporary thing, not a permanent thing. God's great desire is that when we've blown it, we're sorry we blew it. But the reality is, is that we say, God, because of that, I want to change. Because of that, I know you're right. Because of that, Lord, I want to take steps to, if I need to, to rectify or to reconcile. I want to do that, Lord. And we begin to move in a whole new direction with a whole new attitude with him as Lord of our life. But, but the bottom line is, is that God says, I don't want you to regret what happened. I, I don't want you to, to live in the past. I don't want you to go, oh, oh, you know, if I could do it over again. And by the way, I want to share, I, I had an amazing moment where the lights went on to understand this truth. Years ago, a, a wonderful girl who was in Pam and my life, her name is Jennifer. Back then it was Gray, today it's Pierce. And Jennifer, even today, is an amazing woman of God that we love. She has an amazing marriage with Dan, her husband. Awesome family. She comes from a great family. But Jennifer hit a point in time when uh, she started falling away from the Lord. And uh, what happened is, through that, she got pregnant. And she went to Pam right away, my wife, and she said, Pam, help me, and what do I do? And, and Pam and her talked, and of course, you know, she wanted to go share with her family, but it was just a lot of fear, and she was filled with sorrow over what had occurred. But I got to tell you, I watched the amazing moment when I watched her mother and father 
as she began to share what happened, they just responded with the love of God. I, it's one of the purest times I've ever seen the love of God. As, uh, as Steve and Kathy just began to love on her and care about her and embrace her and, and, and literally say, we're going to move through this together. And so what happened is, is she did. And Jennifer allowed that situation to bring her closer to Christ than ever. And we all saw it happening. We saw her beginning to do these things. And uh, I asked her to share her testimony about it later. And, and by the way, she's given me permission to share her story. And later on, you'll hear it more in depth. But uh, I'll never forget as she and I were talking about her going to share her testimony. Uh, uh, I, I, we were talking and I said, well, of course, you're going to say that if you had it to do over, you wouldn't do it again. And she said, no. She goes, Chuck, I could never say that. She goes, I know what I did was wrong, but you know what? You'd be saying to me to say that I wouldn't want Brady in my life, her son. By the way, I want to make this as clear as I can. I think sometimes the church gets really mixed up over how we handle certain situations like this. Because I want to tell you something. When we see a girl get pregnant outside of marriage... Of course she committed a sin, but let me say this as clear as I can. The baby is not the sin. And as a matter of fact, her having the baby is a mark of heroism in our society today that she wants that child to have life. And, uh, and what Jennifer was saying, she goes, I can't say that. And I went, oh my, that is so true. Do you know how many times in the Bible God says to you, well, if you had it to do over again, would you? How many times does God say that? You ready? None. You know why? Because you can't. And God's not caring about things you can't do. As a matter of fact, you ready for this? Repentance without regrets. He wants you to look back and say, God, I am sorry I did that, but I am amazed about how you turned that into something so beautiful. Because God does that, doesn't he? God says that, you know what, I'll cause all things to work together for good for those who love me and live their lives according to my purpose. And God takes our mistakes and our failures. God takes the times we blew it. And he says, if you'll let me, I'll wrap my love and grace around it in such a way you'll look back and go, whoa, I would never do that again. But the reality is, is you know what? I, I see what God has done and I would not want to have that in my life. What God did, how he worked, how he moved, how he changed. I, I want want that. And you know, it's amazing what God says to you. He says, I'll even take your hurt, times of being hurt, your failures, times of depression, and I'll wrap my grace around it and in it and through it. And we'll do it together. We'll just do it together. This is the most amazing life we ever get to live because we live it with him. And you know what? I want to tell you today, if you're sitting here and you're going, well, I, I've done some things in my life that I shouldn't have done. I, I can say this with all knowledge that I'm right beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you know how God feels about you? He still loves you and couldn't love you more than he does. You might even say, well, is God disappointed in me? You ready for this? No, he always knew you would do it. And he chose to love you ahead of time in any way. But you ready for something else? Don't miss this. God knows who you can be. God knows what he wants to see happen in your life. God knows what he made you for. And he's always holding out an offering to you this life with him. And life with others, that's amazing. So today, if you're not in an intimate, close relationship with the Lord, I want to say, why not be? Because if you're not living a life in intimacy with God, it's not because he doesn't want you. He wants you. He moved heaven and earth to be with you. And he loves you. And all he wants you to do is say, here I am. 
And the, well, you know what the word repent means? Lord, I now want to be who you created me to be, and I want to live the life you have for me to live. I want to just be yours. I'm, I'm changing my intention. I'll sold out for you. And God says, good, let's go. Let's do this together. Some of you who are here today might say, well, there was a time. A time in my life where God and I were so close that, ah, but it's not like that today. And maybe it's not like it because you did something or or did start it on a path you shouldn't have been on. You know what God says to you? Come back, come home. Remember the story of the prodigal son? That's where the father ran to the son. And if you would even today just begin to whisper the prayer, the Holy Spirit would move on you so quick because he loves you. And, and maybe sometimes we, we aren't close to God because honestly, we've gotten apathetic and we need God to fuel the fire back up. And there was a church that, that had lost their first love and lost their passion. And Jesus said to them, he goes, I want you to remember what it was like when you were on fire. And then he says, and I want you to repent. I want you to change, turn around and go back to what you used to be because God always says that. And he says, do what you did at first. So today, if you are someone who used to be close to God and you want to be back with him again, then let me say this to you. Come home to the Lord. And, and how do you do it? Well, you pray the prayer again, not to become a Christian again, but to say, God, I'm starting over with you. I want to be back. And today, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never found that relationship, how do you get it? You pray a prayer. You tell them. And what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to go to prayer. And then in the middle of the prayer time, I'm going to invite anybody here who needs to commit or recommit their life to Christ to pray with me right where you're sitting. And if you want God, I can tell you this, he wants you. And today, if you're ready to say that prayer with him, to express your heart, he'll take you. Let's pray. Father, we know, we know you love us. We also know that life is not always easy. And today, there are some people who are in this room who it is, the pressure is immense. And inside, there's some worry that's just beginning to churn. And Father, I pray today they would let you comfort them. And I pray you'd guide them to the right people who would bring an overflowing joy in the midst of this time of affliction. And Father, I pray that we, we would be the church that does this for each other and with each other, that we would laugh with those who laugh, but we'd be there to cry with those who cry. And we would be a church that we, we gather together and we're better and stronger because we've been together and are together and we're the iron sharpening iron time. So help us to happen that way. Help us to be that way. Father, I pray right now. I ask that your Holy Spirit come I ask, Lord, that you stir and fill in this place. Lord, that you put your your spirit upon people or within people and stir inside them who need to commit their life to you or to recommit their life to you. Father, we pray that this would be their day, that this would be their time, that this would be their moment. And so we pray, Lord, for an amazing movement of your spirit now. I want to ask that we keep praying, but I'm going to lead that prayer. And I'm going to invite you, if you want to commit your life to the Lord, to pray this with me. But I want to ask you, if you are going to pray this prayer to commit or recommit your life, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me? And then after that, you can put it down. Is God, wow, praise God for you way over here. That's awesome. And right over here and right here and right there. Praise the Lord. And back here and here. Wow, praise God for you and praise God for you. Wow. Way up there too. Praise the Lord. 
And uh, I'm going to keep looking. Praise God. Wow. And right back here to praise the Lord for you. And praise God. Wow. Praise the Lord. The reason I'm asking you to do this again is this is, uh, helps me to know right over here. Praise God for you. It helps me to know we're doing this together. And sometimes I miss people. But all of you who are letting me know, praise God for you. It, it just helps to know we're doing this. Second more, anybody else, if I haven't seen you, I want to look through the building. God's touching you, and you're going to say yes in this moment. Wow, praise God, way up there. Wow, and right over here, praise the Lord. And right there, praise God. And way back there, praise God. Wow, and right there, wow. You know, and the awesome thing is God sees, God knows, God loves you. So right now, if you are ready, let's pray this prayer together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me, and I know you died on the cross so that my sins would be forgiven, so that I would be washed clean, so that I would be made new and alive. And I say yes. Yes, I want this. And I want your love. And I open my heart to you. And I ask that you fill me with your presence and with your strength. I want to be who you've always created me to be. And I want to live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for all of you to pray that prayer. Praise the Lord. Wow. The Bible says that if even one person prayed that prayer, that the angels of heaven would rejoice. You can imagine what's happening right now, huh? It's exciting. Well, I'm going to ask you if you prayed that prayer to do something. And let me tell you what I'm going to ask you to do and then why. If you prayed that prayer today, I'm going to ask when we stand to sing that you may.